Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion Video Podcast. I'm Jenny Graham, the editorial's editor of the Opinion Section. I'm Bobby Set, editorial writer. And welcome. So this week, we had a few editorials. We had a pretty lively editorial board discussion this week on several different topics that led to, obviously, editorials. But one of the ones I wanted to thought we'd start with is the... The growing, tr- I don't know if it's a trend, we've always had this pop up every once in a while, but it's the disruption of public meetings. So this has been an American tradition in some ways, but it's also illegal in some cases and annoying at a minimum, but we're seeing that in Tulsa. So last week, we've been seeing it at the school board meetings, just people showing up, they have no real connection to the district, but they hear things, show up, they disrupt, they get ejected. Well, now it's sort of branching out and it's at the Planet Tulsa meetings. Planet Tulsa is a sort of a guide for community development. We've had it for decades. It was last updated 10 years ago. And it's just one of those constantly evolving. It's like, where do you put sidewalks? How can we get businesses? How do we, it's a, it's to try to get input on how we want our community to develop. It's not the worst thing in the world to have a plan that says, hey, Let's try to plan out things based on the census and based on needs. And they have public meetings on this just to get input. So this happened 10 years ago, too, where there are a group of people who sort of tie this to global plots. Some of it I can follow. I don't know if you've seen it. Some of it, I literally have no idea what they're talking about. So I understand the fear of a cashless society, e-commerce. There's a fear of that. There's a fear of, you know, dismantle. You know, their idea of dismantling public education is indoctrination through liberal things. Mm-hmm. That also gets into like the UN sustainable stuff. It gets into people wanting, scared that they're going to take their cars away. There were some things I didn't quite understand, but regardless. This group mobilizes online through different apps and they show up at the meeting and they just, they just disrupt it to the point of shouting during presentations. They surrounded the staff. They were just essentially shutting down the meeting. So as a board, we're like, this is crazy, right? And, and my kind of point was, you know, Adam, free speech is great. Obviously we're for free speech, but these are, but they should play by the same rules of everybody else. If you want to get up and talk about how the King of England's trying to take over your internet, fine. Just do it by the same rules that everyone can speak. But that's not what's happening. And so we, I, we did mention that last year, the Oklahoma legislature passed a bill and it was based on left-wing advocates disrupting things like the state of the state that they took an existing law, expanded it to say if, if a group coordinated in a, in a willing and kind of a, a way to disrupt a meeting, a local meeting, a state meeting, then you can be arrested on a misdemeanor and find up like ten, you know, $1,000 and some jail time. And I'm thinking if, this, if these people, if that behavior doesn't change, maybe we should consider doing, doing that. Because I'm kind of tired of having to deal with people who are not really there to help make decisions. They're just there 
to create chaos. If you get up in the morning and your urge is to find outrage, that's going to set your agenda. And that's what this really is. And you got people that are pretty agitated about all kinds of stuff, real and imagined. Um, but yeah, I mean, advocating for something like sidewalks or public transportation or a green belt in an area that might like it. It's not some UN plot to take away your right to have a hamburger. I mean, come on. That's so yeah, I mean it is it's, it is one of those trends that you saw it with the school board meetings, people that weren't even residents inside TPS were showing up at meetings and causing problems, and now you got this stuff going on. You know, I think one of the things that we talked about with this was, you know, it may have been on a different subject, was we had like a civil contract, you know, this idea that everybody kind of plays by an accepted set of rules. You get your opinion out. But if it gets to the point now where to make your point, you're just going to disrupt something from even happening at all, just break it all down. So everybody else which is the majority of the people that were at that meeting and the majority of people in the city can't function. I'm sorry, that's a problem. Well, and, and this isn't legally, things like public meetings and open meetings laws, it's treated different than if you're just standing on the public street corner with your mm -hmm. sign or whatever. So, I mean, and even mm -hmm. then you can't, you know, impede traffic. You can't, there are certain things you can and can't do. Free speech is an absolute. And in this case, it's not there. And when you go on some of these sites where they're mobilizing, it's clear, continue the disruption, you know, continue the K. I mean, they're, it's, they're not there to actually come up with any sort of solutions. It's just, they have these plots in their head and they just want, I guess something stopped. They're not, I'm not real clear on it. I'm also seeing the same people. So the same people who are, sort of disrupting the school board meetings. They're the same people who are going to these other meetings, which to me shows they're more interested in the chaos and the theater than they are in actually helping the community. And that's, yeah. and, and I don't, and also from their end, they're not getting their point across. Like they're just turning people off. So if they're trying to convince people to change their minds, that's completely lost. Some people just like to watch the world burn. I guess. But, you know, it, it did lead to the next Planet Tulsa meeting. They changed the format and they added security, which a lot of groups are not having to add security because of this, because it has escalated into violence in other places, other states. So the local groups here, local uh, government is having to do that. But the the theater got cut out. Usually you have like a big presentation and people have a chance well, what, what the format now, the way I understand it is, because I wasn't there, but they had, there was no big presentation. What they did was they had information there and they broke up into groups. So if you wanted to ask a question about housing, public transportation, parks, you would go to these stations and just have one-on-one -on -one conversations with the, the planners. Well, that, there were some people upset about it because they didn't have the theater. There was no stage on which to perform. So it kind of, and they were, and 
a reporter who was there said yeah, there were some people they were upset about it because they didn't get their moment so maybe that's how we have to look at it which is yeah. you know breaking it down a little bit but the other thing that again education seems to come up a lot and i don't there are a lot of issues out there but but this week there were two school related issues that the board wanted to editorialize on one was uh attorney general john o'connor last week i believe said had an opinion released an opinion that he believes that uh religious you know, churches basically religious organizations can have charter schools which is you know publicly funded schools so he believes that that's allowed and the other thing was this use of the expanded use of adjunct professors which we had actually editorialized on months ago but um, but but talk a little bit about the the attorney general's opinion. So the attorney general uh, he citing some Supreme Court decisions that came out uh, late spring was thinking that some of the laws that we have on the books that prevent religious organizations from being able to do something like start a charter school. Uh, he believes that's now out of line with what the uh, Supreme Court decided. So, and that led the Archdiocese, I think, of Oklahoma City. Yeah, the, the Diocese of Oklahoma City asked for the opinion. And I will also mention that the Diocese of Oklahoma City, or maybe it's both Tulsa and Oklahoma City, I can't remember, but there's a lobbyist on behalf of the diocese pushing for vouchers too. Right. There is a incentive a financial yeah. incentive for religious schools to get public funding. So, so but, what they want to do is they wanted to uh, start a, a virtual charter school. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I'm not sure how to put this exactly, but, you know, if you want to start a school, I mean, just from a philosophical point of view, and we'll get into the legal side a little bit later. If you want to start a school and you're within the archdiocese, I mean, they've, why don't you just start a Bishop Kelly virtual school? Why not start a, a Bishop McGinnis charter, virtual charter school? You have right. it that, That's what the public schools have done. Like Tulsa yeah. Public Schools has a virtual school. Broken Arrow has a virtual school. You're, you're right. All these districts yeah. have their own. Yeah. If, if people want a Catholic preparatory education, they have that option. You can spend that money. So it's kind of this further encroaching of, you know, we're going to give these private entities, and in this case, private religious entities, public dollars. So the Oklahoma Constitution has some things to say about that. Um, basically reaffirming, in so many words, reaffirming the concept of the separation of church and state. And voters had a chance to adjust that a few years back. There was a state question put out there to strike that part of the Constitution. And what do you think the voters decided? I remember here, what the voters decided. Yeah, it was here in the buckle of the Bible Belt, red state, red meat, red blood America. We said, thanks, but no, let's not do that. By 57%. And that was the Blaine Amendment. Because remember, that came out of the... Uh, Ten Commandments on the the church on the Capitol grounds. Yeah, and so the Supreme Court said you can't do that because we have this. It was put in the original state constitution to separate church and state. It states very clearly, and that has been extended into schools and all that stuff. So, 
legislature put it on the ballot, said, hey, let's pull this amendment so we can basically infuse religion into our government activities. And 57% of Oklahomans said no. So that's something I think we should consider with this type of thing. And how, you know, when you're talking about a Supreme Court opinion, or not Supreme Court opinion, an attorney general's opinion, that's not something that holds the same weight as a court decision. So it's not like you have to do this. And seeing that Mr. O'Connor's got less than a month left in office, I don't know what uh, Gettner Drummond's ideas on this are, if he's all for it or if he's like, no, we're going to follow what the state constitution and the will of the people seem to show and say, yeah, no, we're not doing that. So I don't know where this is going, but it is interesting that it's not something that Mr. O'Connor just made up out of whole cloth it was based on some things that the U.S. Supreme Court decided. So whereas I think the state Supreme Court could say, you know, if, we're, if you're going this way, it's against our laws. I'll be interested to see if it gets pursued in federal court, what happens, given the makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court and its previous decision. Yeah, and it's, the way I understand an attorney general's opinion, it's it's basically saying as the attorney general, if this happens, I won't defend it or I won't seek it. So it, I don't know in history if that's changed when it's we've had different attorney general's changes. But, uh, you know, and, and the, the thing about a charter school, which is interesting, our charter school laws are actually pretty good because the transparency is there. Unlike a voucher bill, where you just give money to a private school with no transparency or reporting requirements at all, our charter schools, we require those kids because they're getting public funds to take the same state test as public school kids. They have the same financial reporting that public districts have to have. So there are some controls that I think if the, the faith community had, had their choice, they'd probably wanna choose a voucher instead because there are no controls on that. Or at least with the charter bill, because that's how we found out all the information about EPIC because of those laws. So, so of the two, the charter school bill does require a lot more transparency. But sure. the, uh, the other issue we had was the adjunct teachers. And this, it was kind of weird. Like we knew about it and editorialized about it, you know, when it was happening. But it, it this popped up because of a story I don't know where it originated. It was a CNHI story, which is, you know, a media group. And it basically pointed out, which is true, what it did, an adjunct teacher is, it was meant to be for a specialist in like a town who wanted to come in and teach a class. And the example always given is a doctor who wants to teach biology or an accountant that wants to teach a financial literacy course. It's been used for, say, American Sign Language, uh, accounting or trades, but it's meant for very limited scopes. They're not meant to be full-time educators. And it, it only requires a high school diploma and then this nebulous like expertise. So we have a crisis in teacher shortage right now. We're beyond like our, our, our districts are desperate. Mm -hmm. So to get at that, two lawmakers came up with this bill, the Senate bill, to expand the adjunct teachers to take a, the time limit off because originally, because they're not supposed to be full-time teachers, 
they were limited in the number of hours they could teach a class per semester. So that way, you know, it was limited. So they pulled that off. And the whole idea was we'll get more people qualified or, you know, eligible because they're not qualified teachers, but they're eligible to go into a classroom and teach full time. And the news story pointed out that what this did was create a route for people with only a high school education to become full-time teachers. And the lawmakers got really upset saying that wasn't our intention. And it wasn't, I truly believe that they did not, but everything comes with an unintended consequence. And I remember at the time we said, we don't like it. We're not gonna oppose it as a board, but this is obviously not the solution. This is temporary. This would be a horrible um, idea long-term, but schools are desperate. They were also at the time, and, and I, I wondered why this wasn't getting more attention, because the voucher bill was going on. So people weren't paying attention to this bill because they were really debating and getting into the voucher bill that was on. So it kind of shows that so much happens during a session, there's a lot that just goes unnoticed. Yeah. So this popped up again, and we felt compelled to write about it. and the. We spoke a lot among ourselves at the at the board in that it really what people are upset about is that it goes back to we know how to fix the teacher shortage. It's not easy and it's not cheap. You have to get more people with college degrees. It's not unreasonable to ask for our high school teachers and our elementary teachers to have higher education. That's not unreasonable. It's not elitist. That's just what it is. Mm -hmm. you want to be an educator, you have to be highly educated. But we need more people mm -hmm. who can afford and access a college degree. We need to pay them because we're not, we're slipping down quickly with our average pay. We need to provide resources in classrooms. And that means kids need extra curricular activities. Teachers need professional development. And it all goes back to respect. So a lot of people view this as, an, as a growing disrespect. The idea that well, I'm a writer, I'm an editor, I've been doing this for 30 years. I, sh I can go in and teach a high school class because I'm an expert in editing. But the reality, we aren't, we are not, I could not go in and teach what I do because I could not handle a class of 35 teenagers. I would not know how to maybe reach different learning styles. So a kid who's not really liking writing I don't know how effective I would be in teaching that person how to write. And so we had this whole conversation about that, about this whole idea that somehow we've gotten to where we view teachers as, or not us, but there are a growing number of people who just don't view them with the kind of professionalism that it really takes to be a good teacher. They certify these people. You have to pass certain tests to show that you know you know how to create lesson plans, that you know how to manage a classroom. You do training when you're in college, when you're actually in a classroom and assist in that and actually take over the class at times. It's almost like an apprenticeship type of thing. It goes way beyond just being, you know, hey, I've read and researched a bunch of World War II stuff. Does that make me a history teacher? No, it doesn't. You don't want me teaching an English class. Sorry, that that would not work. Um, I've done I've done the research on a bunch of different sciencey type of things over the years. 
doesn't mean I can teach a science class. I think that there is this thing out there where you've got this devalued idea of what teachers do added to the fact that, well, I know what I'm doing. I've taught a Sunday school class or something like that. And and you think, well, hey, if I can stand up in front of a bunch of people in my church or give a talk at work or something like that, I can handle a, I can handle a, a, a school public school classroom for two semesters and get paid for it and whatever. And that's just not how it is, man. I'm telling you, man, it's teaching as a hard gig because it goes way past being able to teach the, the, the R's and whatnot. It's, there is a method to it. There are theories behind how to do this, how to reach certain kinds of students because you know not every student comes in with the same they're they're not a monolithic mass of people each kid has their own things that you know challenges and strengths and weaknesses and stuff like that that just don't translate into someone just coming in and saying here's how you do it it doesn't work that way and we, and we are in a state with the with a lot of trauma so kids, so I'll hear people that'll substitute and go, these kids are horrible acting. They're just the kids today, the kids today. It's like the kids today are facing a lot of things that previous generations didn't. And if you don't know how to deal with that and you don't, if you're not a professional educator, then you're, that's the whole point. You're not a professional educator. We mm -hmm. do have people who know how to address kids and the needs they have. Because if, if you just think you're going to go in and just teach algebra, that is, that is half the job. The, the job is so much more difficult than that. And this growing disrespect, and it comes from these national talking points and people get distracted with where kids are going to the bathroom or what books are in the library. It's all a distraction. And I think that the teachers are really feeling that and then it's hurting people going to the profession. There's also this sense that I'm hearing more and more from the state and there's some lawmakers that don't view the value of a college degree very highly. Yeah. And I've heard this like, well, just because you have a piece of paper, and that came from, I think, Brian Walters, the incoming sec education secretary, piece of paper doesn't mean you're smart. Well, but the piece of paper means something because according to all the projections, at least 66 of the 100 most critical occupations in Oklahoma for the next, you know, eight years, 10 years require a college degree. So, we do have to recognize, and there are people who want to go to college that can't for various reasons. So we, and that goes for engineering fields to education. We need more people with college degrees and pathways to get there that are affordable. Because right now, tuition is crazy. Um, no one seems to have a handle on why college tuition at our state schools are so high and access. So I think the trades are great. They pay well. And there are kids who know they're a freshman year of high school. That's what they want to do. Then we should, because right now they can't get into the trades, their freshman year of high school. We need to make that available and we need to value those too. But we shouldn't be tearing down one to promote the other. And Can I throw one more point out there? Mm -hmm. We keep talking about how we want to make the state a top 10 state and how we want to develop the economy, diversify the economy and whatnot. If we keep doing things that dismantle public education, none of that's ever going to happen. No, 
No. And people talk about student outcomes. Why can't, no, we have bad student outcomes. Well, if you don't have your best and brightest as teachers, if you're running them off, then the outcomes are going to be bad. Yep. Right now, we have uh, schools with full-time substitute teachers because we can't find a person for that classroom. The outcome is going to be bad. No. Exactly right. So I wanted to uh, mention, moving on from that, so we have on our board Tim Chamberlain, who's the presentations editor. How would you describe Tim? How would I describe Tim? Um, very one of the smartest people I know. He is very into uh, anything that's got to do with tech or science. Um, gosh, without getting too deep into this thing, nobody can out nerd Tim and make it seem as cool as he does. He, he does have that sort of like swagger to him. Like he does. He he, he uh. Does. So, so I approach he's and he doesn't a lot of people don't know him, but he is uh been an editor here for a long time. What he's sort of in charge of is they we call him the presentation editor, but he deals with the actual press, he deals with uh anything that has to do with how the product looks. Um, he has his hand in a little bit of everything, but he is like the nerdiest science person I've ever met. For he's just He's fascinating. And I, he knows so much about space. Like I can't follow him and his office full of space stuff. And I realized this week that it's the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 17 uh, mission, which was the last time man walked on the moon. So I went to him. I said, you know, I said, no one's writing about that. Why don't you write an op-ed? I, you know, you're on the board. Of course he jumps at it and he works on it. It is and he goes, well, you know, I just don't think we should go back to the moon. I'm more of a person. I'm in the camp that we should go to Mars. And I think he wanted to, to debate with me on that, but I don't know enough about it to debate him. And I'm like, sounds great, you know. So, but he wrote, he wrote a column that'll be in the paper tomorrow. It'll be online today. And he reflects on that, on the what where we're at 50 years later, where we should go, why it's important. And and then he, you know, recognizes that it's expensive. You know, our space exploration is costly. But, you know, when you think about what we've, as a country, gained from NASA, it's pretty amazing. And NASA itself, this came from Jim Bridenstine, who was the NASA administrator under Trump. But he came in one time and he spoke to us about how NASA internationally is not really viewed as part of the American government. So when you're when you're sort of dealing with foreign nations who are dubious or, you know, of our government, to, when it comes to NASA, it's viewed more independently. And so that's what, because we had the international Right, that this is the one area in the world where it seems like we can create partnerships, which I always found fascinating. So I just wanted to say to everyone, if you get it, if you like space, you will like Tim Chamberlain's column. And I'm, you know, I he's he's an interesting person. He wrote an interesting op-ed. He hadn't written it in a long time. I told him he didn't, he hasn't lost it. So uh now I'll, I'll mention that in there uh moving on into into another column. We'll talk about our columns coming up. I am right now avoiding signing up for my health care 
I have to, it'll happen today, but the annual enrollment has gone on all week. You're in, you've gotten the same notices. It stresses me out (laughs) beyond my ability to, it's just, and I, and I went out on my social media and I'm like, is anyone else like stress? They're like, yes, this is like horrible because it's gambling. This whole house of cards. It's like, you're asking questions like, do I think I'll get cancer this year? Perhaps this will be the year I have the heart attack. Will my kids have a broken <laughs> bone? Like will we I get in a debilitating wreck? I mean, what exactly? What if I fall from a ladder? Well, like no one, and, and it's always like, do you need the gold plan, the silver plan, the premium, the deluxe? I don't know. And then they'll tell you based on your needs. But how do you know what your needs are? I just, I, it just stresses me out. And so I wrote about that. Are you stressed out about? Is it just me? Well, here's the thing, too, and this is what I hate about this. Just hate it with the fury of a thousand burning suns. If you don't do it, they drop you. Oh yeah, you instead have to just, do. It. Instead of just defaulting to what you've always been doing, right? Which is what they should do. Yeah. Just default to what you had before, unless you want to change it. No. You have to go through this and you have to do it or they will dump you. You will, ha- you will be uninsured. You'll be uninsured for a year because uh, it's just, and it is like you said, I mean, you got all these things you got to think about, you know, is how's my vision doing? Is it all right? Am I going to have to have more teeth work done? Do I need to, you know, do an FSA or an HSA or whatever? And it's just like. Hey, just getting past the terminology. Like I don't yeah. remember what all this means. And then they throw in things like, you know, life insurance, how much life insurance you want? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, will I die this? What if I die? Oh my God. What if my husband dies? I mean, it's just like, I can't, this whole thing is just, I feel like we're just being scammed and then it never covers as much as you want. It's like, okay, you choose this. Well, you're going to have your, your deductibles are every, there's never been a year that someone says, you know what? Health insurance went down this year. You've got a a lesser deductible, your premiums. No, it's always like, okay, so the first $5,000 you got to pay up front, then we'll cover you at 80%. Gee, thanks. Yeah. Nothing ever really gets covered. Because everyone's got five grand laying around. Or whatever it is. I don't know. It's just, but I'm not alone. I did actually find some data that shows most Americans feel paralyzed by this. I don't know. So we were, you wrote about the cancel culture, which my segue into this is I just want to cancel culture, the whole healthcare system. Everyone's to blame. So that's my very cynical view right now, but you wrote about the cancel culture and uh, you, you like, you told, okay, first of all, and I won't give it away. You quoted Shinedown. I did. Planet Zero. I'm a little disappointed. I'm sorry. We'll get into that later. Actually, it's a pretty rocking tune. We'll take this um, off. But no, what, what prompted that? Um, well, for starters, it was a couple of songs I heard on the radio that are getting airplay. And I was like, well, oh, that's, yeah. I question where you're getting your music at this point, but go ahead. KMOD, don't knock Okay, it. I'm like, hey, KMOD's local. It's fine. It's just. All fine. right. So a couple of songs I heard and they seem to, you know, come down pretty hard with this thing with their lyrics. But then there was also a. I thought this thing was so 2020 
because that seemed to be like the punchline, oh, cancel culture, blah, blah, blah. This is why America's going down the tubes. And, you know, it's a big giant eye roll for me. But, um, and I thought it was kind of went its way. And no, it hasn't. You know, it's still one of those things where you take a stand or you think this way or you do something, get caught doing something silly or dumb or bad or something like that. And the internet is going to come for you in a major way. And it brought up a lot of things that make me wonder, ask the question, what is the line between accountability and grace? And I took a look at Jerry Jones. He's got a little bit of a controversy going on right now. Um, of something that happened a long time ago, but he also has sort of a pattern that makes you go, hmm. So yeah, I'm taking a stab at that kind of a thing. It seems like for all of the uh, complaints, uh, criticisms of cancel culture, how much it, people are kind of fed up with the whole idea, it ain't going anywhere. And on that note, I'm really, really glad that smartphones and the internet and social media did not exist when I was in high school and college. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be held responsible for, for decisions I made anywhere between 13 and 22. But My frontal uh, but world was still developing. I know. And so that's where there is something about, I'm much more concerned about how someone's acting last week. Right. Yeah. 20 years ago, because you want to see, I think we have to have grace for people to grow, to learn, because you don't know if you're being offensive, if you're contributing to something um, detrimental until you're told. And so I think we have to, you know, be kind and give grace. But if there's no growth, if people are still, you know, being, you know, corrosive in their life, I don't know, then yeah, there's got to be a difference. So, but there yeah. are the other things coming up. So this weekend, and it's actually going to be online Thursday, but the Bixby superintendent, who is a really fun writer, he's had a blog for a long time. He's a highly effective educator and administrator, and he gets his point across well. So he sent me an op-ed that I took, but it, it was clearly satire. I recognize it as satire, but what he did was take sort of the talking points that people use for public education and put it in the, what if we spoke about healthcare this way? What if we spoke about our doctors in the same way we speak, speak about teachers? And he just sort of goes down there. And so at the end, I thought it was really good in getting the point across, but then I came back to him. I said, you know, there's a healthy number of people who have never read The Onion or who have read The Onion and think, that's outrageous and real. So we make a point at the top. And he laughed and he said, I wondered about that. I said, yeah, I said, I've, I've done satire. And I have, when you have to explain to a certain number of readers that it's, you don't really believe that you're making fun of that. So we make clear it's satire. I do believe in it. And I will come to you right now and say that I do not need a medical degree and I come as a faith healer and I will do your heart surgery. I can do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just give me that I, I want to be an adjunct doctor. <laughs> and you didn't even write about that. That might be the next thing he writes about. And if, you, and if you say I can't do it, you're being elitist. You're being elitist. 
because just because you have a piece of paper you're doesn't mean that you that it doesn't mean you're yeah so I'll stop Other me and people like me from becoming an adjunct doctor or an astronaut yeah so the the other we have a community advisory board member Raymond Redcorn who's the former assistant um chief in the Osage Nation he's he's no longer in in the in politics but he's a great writer and he sent me a an op-ed and it looks at immigration through the idea of workforce which is something we've spoken about which is we have a, a worker shortage and yet we have people in our Congress who still want to like not let immigrants in and we our policies need to reflect our workforce. So he, he talks about that and I appreciate it. He's, he's a really good writer. And so with that, I'm gonna talk to you about your problem and his problem to think that Die Hard's a, a Christmas movie. I mean, yeah. we're gonna get serious here. This is, we take on big issues and I just think Die Hard is, I mean, yes, it takes, takes place at Christmas, but there's not Santa. I don't think it can be a Christmas movie if you don't have Santa. Hans Gruber, ho, ho, ho. That's all you need? You just need a three hoes and that's all you need? There's Christmas trees. There are Christmas decorations. There's Christmas music. But where's the romance? Where is, where's the Noel diary in this? You've got travel, way, do people watch. coming, family coming together to celebrate Christmas together. Yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and I will not hear any argument otherwise. I like Bad Santa. Does that, I can, you know, I mean, if you like, you know. It's a Christmas movie, whether you like it or not, it just is, I guess. I watched The Noel Diary, as I just mentioned. Do not watch it. I just saved it for you. Not that good. Okay. There was another movie on, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to just go back to the classics, Christmas Vacation. Which is, by the way, apparently Americans' favorite Christmas movie, which might really say something about where America is at. Elf. So, Elf is it. I love Elf. Elf is it. There's nothing says Christmas like a 30-second belch and then an elf going, See, that's a you boy hear thing. that? I would not have picked that out. I would, that would not have been, that would not have been the scene I like. But uh, yeah, it's a boy thing. But there's the shows. There's Every, something for everyone in that you smell so, well what was the line that he said of the fake santa it's like <laughs> you sit on a throne of lies and you smell like roast lies. beef yes <laughs> well we're just maybe one day we'll just have a podcast where we just quote favorite christmas lines it'll maybe age if we start quoting movie lines it's going to age us badly i know we shouldn't do that so no. anyway i hope everyone has a good weekend We'll be back next week and have 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 a good weekend. See ya.